everyone, and welcome to That Wellness Podcast with Natalie Deering. I am sitting here today with Katie Silcox. Katie is a New York Times bestselling author of the book, Healthy, Happy, Sexy, Ayurveda Wisdom for Modern Women. She's also a nationally recognized yoga teacher. She hosts the podcast, Spirit Sessions, Find Your True Spiritual Home. She's the founder of the Shakti School, which is a premier online certification school for women-centered holistic wellness, and she holds a master's degree in Ayurvedic medicine. Welcome, Katie, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on. I'm excited to talk to you and pick your brain and talk about Ayurveda in particular in this talk today. It's something that, you know, we were just chatting before we hit record and my sister's involved in Ayurvedic, you know, cooking and and medicine and herbalism. And it's been something that has always been on my radar and she's always sent me things and had me take certain assessments and things like that. And I'd love to share this information with the listeners because I do feel like it's something to keep in mind to help understand ourselves. And we'll get more in depth about all of that and how that makes sense. And, you know, reading off all of those things that you've done and working towards and and accomplished, I'm really curious to start off this conversation with what has gotten you here, you know, from this journey that you've been on through yoga and, you know, then to Ayurveda and now being an author and all those things. I'm just curious, what has gotten you here? (laughs) You know, people ask me that question a lot and the answer has been the same since I started being a little bit in the public eye. And and that is that pain and suffering have gotten me here and uh, a place that knows her soul is a thing and mm-hmm. wants to know my soul and wants to live from my soul. And, you know, I think you and I are from similar areas of the world. And um, I grew up Southern Baptist in the hills of Virginia and Tennessee and uh, grew up like many young girls in the 1980s and 70s back in that era and that area in particular where there was a real split between the body and our sexuality and the sensual world and the worldly, to quote that form of, of ideology, and um, spirit. And so I've always had this real hard time navigating uh, the things that um, made me me right like being emotional and having lots of feelings and struggling from a young age with chronic health issues Mm. and and really when you are suffering and I'm sure many of your listeners out there are because it's just so common these days but when you're struggling with health issues it's really natural to want to feel better and and that's really what led me to, to initially to find yoga and meditation. And those things really, really helped me a lot, but they were not the whole story. And then I, you know, I lived in India for a while and studied with some great teachers there. And I realized there was this sister science to yoga called Ayurveda, which was sort of like the healthcare system to accompany the spiritual system. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, I got really interested in that. And 
what I also want to say to the listeners and, and you, Natalie, is like in those systems, just like any system, if we were to study any system, humans are behind those systems. And so I started to see some things in the yoga world and the meditation scene and even the Ayurveda world where I was like, wait, there's a lot of fundamentalism here, just like in my, my upbringing, just as Mm. there was so much good in my church and in my Christian upbringing, which I really honor, there was a lot of wacky stuff. And so even with Ayurveda, I felt like I wanted to help be a part of the evolution of this vision that understands that inherently all of life is alive and all of life is sacred and every aspect of who we are matters in terms, if we're speaking of Ayurveda, in terms of finding true health, which, and you'll love this as a therapist in parts work, Mm -hmm. excludes parts of you that may always have a little bit of imbalance or a lot of imbalance. And so it's a really different approach to this idea that we're going to be perfect or we're going to be purified or we're going to have perfect health. I don't Mm -hmm. think that that really exists. Okay. And that's refreshing to hear. (laughs) Right. Take the freaking guilt blanket off, you know, of like, which I think in the wellness world, we have to really kind of be careful with. Exactly. Because that sets up, I feel like parts of people having these expectations of, oh, I'm going to do this and this is what it's going to feel like or look like, which I feel like there can be moments and, you know, especially like as you're getting to know, like in my work in IFS, it's like you're getting to know these various parts of you that are maybe stuck in these extreme energies, these extreme roles, and therefore they're having maybe negative impacts in certain areas of your life. And so then as they, as you start to do that exploration of these parts of you and eventually there begins to be spaciousness there and more flexibility and and choice then yeah that stuff feels really good but it's also it's also kind of a it's addressing any parts of us that maybe have these expectations of oh well as i do this work or any type of healing work i'm going to be like this floating transcendent being which i feel like we can have moments of feeling that right. Like in IFS, they talk about the scale of specifically like being in, in self energy where it's either like one end is way over here. Like we're completely dissociated and then it gradually moves through the other end, which is transcendence, you know, of self, which is another way of being dissociated. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. That's a that's great way of definition. putting it. The definition of the word <laughs> transcendent is bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess an IFS, it would be like, but you're transcending in within like your self-energy, right? As opposed to like okay, a bunch cool. of parts. But right. like they're, what they say is like, you know, we're always fluctuating like in the middle, mm-hmm. you know, in this like blended states of parts and then being self-led, you know, and that it can shift and change tons of times during the day. But yeah, I I appreciate you saying that also like in Ayurveda, it's this mindset of, and we'll get into talking about like the doshas and things like that of like finding maybe where you have some imbalance and also having that grace of like, we can't just, we can't always be these balanced beings like all the time that it's going to have these shifts 
and that that's okay. That's it. And so it sounds like then you got to Ayurveda through first your study and training in yoga, which was similar to my journey as well. I went into, um, well, like I mentioned, my sister's always been into it, but I was in yoga teacher training myself at one point and we had a section then in the training of learning about Ayurveda as a, as a medicine and a sister science to yoga. And I found it to be, yeah, just a really, really inviting. It made a lot of sense to me. (laughs) It made sense to look at our bodies in this way and to better understand that again, we can have these imbalances and shifts and how does that impact us in other realms, you know, like our mental health, sexual health, all of the things. And so I'm really, I'm curious to hear from you. How would you describe Ayurveda? Let's talk about Ayurveda. Yeah, I think that might be helpful if someone hasn't heard of what it is. I always say there's two, two definite, well, there's many definitions, right? But Ayurveda is an indigenous folk medicine system from the subcontinent of India. Um, Some say 5,000 years old. We don't really need to know because it's an oral tradition, which predates the historical record. We do know that the Rig Veda is the oldest written human text in religious codification. And so that's a part of the Ayurveda. Uh, Ayurveda is a part of the Vedic system. And so it has a very indigenous root, right? And it's very culturally Indian. And so, you know, we want to pay honor to that and do our best to be respectful of that lineage. Now, at the same time, and I feel the same way about yoga, if you study the depth of these philosophical teachings, it's actually not even called Hinduism. It's called the Sanatana Dharma, which means the way of the universe. Mm. (laughs) And so by nature, these teachings go beyond India. They are so meant to go beyond India. And even the ancient texts of Ayurveda intuited that these teachings would survive and move through time and space beyond the geography of India. And therefore they were encouraged to be translated in such a way that could be adapted for the time and the place and the, and the communities in which they were being presented. Mm. And so in that way, the word Ayur means life. The word Veda means science. This is a science of understanding reality, just like yogic psychology is a science of understanding the psyche, which really goes beyond all culture. Yet, as with any philosophical system, medical system, we are going to have the culture in which these things are being experienced really relative to what the methodologies are. So for example, if you're in India in the highlands of the Himalaya, you might be finding some herbs, some roots, some plants that are very different than where I'm from, right? Mm -hmm. Right. The mountains of Virginia and Tennessee. And so, and yet what's so brilliant about Ayurveda is that because it is a complete life science, it breaks reality down into specific archetypes and patterns in nature that are applicable to anyone, anywhere, and at any time. Mm -hmm. That's the genius of Ayurveda. When we study the historical roots of Ayurveda, what we also find is that Ayurveda was highly Uh, Well, other sciences were highly influenced by Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, Greek Mm -hmm. medicine, Egyptian medicine, Arabic medicine, 
African medicine. And what we look, see in these historical accounts is that Greek medicine began to inform Ayurvedic medicine. And so we had these deep conversations happening globally way before the internet. Um, so that being said, for us now, practically, Ayurvedic, we can think of it as a way of understanding that you are both inherently nested within nature and the environment in which you find yourself in, and you are super unique. Yes, a a snowflake, you know, and so, and yet within your uniqueness, there are these archetypes and patterns that we can look at by looking at your physiology and your psychology and understand that you have a specific pattern that you may want to become aware of, because if you do not, the pattern will tend to take over and cause trouble. And if you are aware of it, like if you're like me, I have a lot of fire, that pattern you're aware of, it may take over less and you can do some things in your diet, in your lifestyle, in the things you put on your body that can help mitigate the negative effects of that pattern, quote negative, right? And bring forth the life-giving, life-affirming aspects of that pattern, mm. right? Like this is how God made me. I'm a little fireball. I've been a little fireball since I came out of my mama. I was bossing her around as soon as I could talk, you know, and so <laughs> that's gonna change like, you know, and so a big part of this is knowing your gifts and talents and your uniqueness. And the reason you were made that way is so that you can fulfill a certain purpose, mm. but there's a shadow to that. Right. And we can, and I'm sure you experience this in your practice, especially Westerners, we love quizzes about ourselves, And so right. we become overly identified with these patterns. And in that we lose sight of the fact that we are actually quite complex. Mm -hmm. And, um, and anyways, we aren't these patterns anyways, right? We are that true self that is experiencing these patterns. So right. yeah, I think that's a perhaps long-winded way of saying Ayurveda is a, a way of seeing yourself and, and nature so that you can come back into harmony with all of that. Right. And that makes like, like I said before, it makes a lot of sense to me that again, like we, we are of nature and we are of the elements and it makes sense to me that given what we go through as humans with traumas and stressors and wounds and things like that, that we experience that then some of these things are going to be maybe stuck in extreme energies, right. Or off balance. And, you know, I've taken, I've taken the, the dosha quiz and, you know, according to that, I'm Pitta, which we can get into talking about those things more in depth, but that's fire, right. Is that, am I correct? Like that's like an, a pitta is like, I'm fiery as well. And for me, what I've noticed is like throughout, like I look back even like at my childhood and things like that. And you tell me if this is correct and I'm putting this together. Right. But I've literally always been like a hot person. Like I'm, I just feel hot <laughs> a lot of the time. Is that related? Of course. I mean, fire is fire. You don't have to have any understanding of Ayurveda. Everyone out there listening knows the qualities. So I think maybe it would be helpful to define the terms for yes. people that are new. So the word dosha 
So when I spoke before about these patterns, what we were talking about in Ayurvedic medicine is a dosha and a dosha means a fault line. So that which is waiting to go out of balance in you, that which you are tendent towards by nature. And if we want to get kind of mathematical and logistical about it, you have a certain percentage of the elements, earth, fire, water, uh, wind, and spaciousness. So when earth and water get together, they make mud. Mm -hmm. It is heavy. It is cool. It is damp. It is stable. And it's hard to get rid of. And in Ayurveda, we call that kapha, which really is just an earthy, earthy, watery type. Those of you out there listening, if you've got big bone structure, wide features, circular features, thick hair, creamy, milky skin, you don't care about the temperature because you have a lot of insulation. So you don't even know if it's hot or cold. You're kind of cool. Your appetite tends to be a little bit like, whatever, I don't need to eat that much because I have reserves. It's all about stability. And, you know, we, we have a whole two year course about this because it's complex. Right. But the second one is when fire comes with a little bit of unctuousness, which was the type you were mentioning about yourself. It has all of those qualities of fire, heat, um, mobility in the mind, fire can burn through things. And therefore people of a fiery nature tend to have very uh, high opinions and like to express those opinions and they are good leaders and have a dynamic mind that can see clearly. That's one of the hallmarks of a pitta mind is you're able to burn through the dross of the Mm -hmm. mind. In the body, it's going to show up as anything red or rosy or heated. We call it inflammation, mm-hmm. right? That's going to be the negative side, quote, negative. Really, inflammation is helping you initially. Right. And on and on, and on, we could talk about fire. In the body, though, this tends to be more medium build. So as I'm looking at you, yes, you are. You are. I knew from the second we came on the call, there's a lot of fire in you. But you also have kapha, which is that sweetness and roundness and softness and then you have at the other end of the spectrum the air and the space which is vata which means wind Mm -hmm. and i have a lot of that and our culture has a lot of that and wind is everything's moving fast it's changeable it's dry it's mobile it's cool a negative aspect of this in the mind is an anxious monkey mind (laughs) That's jumping from one place to another, AKA anxiety. Yeah. And a sense of rootlessness, ungroundedness and utilizing screens and technology increases this energy and the fire energy. If we add to that, the polarization, the negativity, the meanness, Mm -hmm. the sort of uh, thinking we're right, you're wrong. I'm good. You're bad. That's all fire. And so we live, and so I, this is important. So you were born with a certain nature, but through trauma, through your family, through society, through the culture that we live in, through the life experiences that you are going through, your dosha, your true type can get so far out of whack that you could be in a totally different box of doshas. And so we differentiate between the natural way you were born and the imbalance that you may now have become. Mm. That imbalance may be exactly your type, but it might be different. And we see this a lot. So in my school, the Shakti school, 
everybody is botted out. Everybody feels ungrounded, rootlessness, anxious, you know, not sleeping, all of these things. I'm not saying everybody, but it's just so common. It's so common. Yeah. And in a way, who cares about your dosha that you were born with? Let's talk about the one you're experiencing now. Hmm. And that's what we work with. And that's what we treat, whether it be through diet or herbs or meditation. Um, And this is very, very, very complex. So I don't want to oversimplify it. When when women come to our school, there are like 250 data points around a quiz, right? Where you really do look at all of these things in depth. And, and then it's quite simple though, right? Like the remedies are really, really simple. We do a lot of downward moving meditations to ground mm-hmm. our energy. We do a lot of working with the energetic of love, which is water and unctuousness that heals and mm-hmm. soothes the fire. Every single individual into benefits from this. We do the same 10 food practices for optimal digestion, no matter what your dosha is. And so there are these very general Ayurvedic methodologies that everyone can benefit from. And then once you kind of learn those basics, you can start to make it more complicated for you. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And so I guess what I'm curious about is, yeah, do you feel like maybe specifically people in our country are more kind of burnt out and bada? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we, we can give it modern language. So I practice all forms of medicine. And in the sense of, I mean, not like I'm an MD, what I mean by that is I'm as a true, a true, uh, as I lean into the deep definition of Ayurveda, if I know I have pitta or inflammation, I'm very interested in any methodology that will serve me, whether it be an Ayurvedic herb or a Western method. Mm-hmm. So first that's important to understand that you can, you can understand the archetypal pattern of Ayurveda and apply it to anything, including Western medicine. So that it truly is a holistic approach, but yes. Um, and even Ayurveda speaks of this geographies have a dosha. Mm. So if you and I were born in New York city, it is going to be very different than we're born down on the swampy Virginia land where I'm from. Right. A lot slower, a lot wetter. I mean, we talk slower, right? right? So that has a huge effect, but I would say in general, Yes, Western civilization, especially the United States, we live in what's known as a grind hustle culture, Mm -hmm. which is totally vata and pitta deranging because pitta is also focus, Mm. ambition, drive, the longing and desire for more, for success, for everybody saying how great you are and then attacking people that say how shitty you are. Mm. that's a very fiery quality. So yeah, that's a, that's a longer discussion, but for sure. Yeah. And and as you say all those things, it's like, I can relate to a number of those things within myself and all can, but then I'm also like seeing this broader picture of America Yeah, and like seeing that that's, yeah, like a common kind of energy. Right. Well, you put on what I call in one of my books, I call it the Ayurveda goggles. Like once you learn these basic principles, you're like wearing these Ayurveda goggles and then you just start to judge everyone. You're like, oh, well, my mom's this and my neighbor's this and my dog is definitely this, you know, and then you're <laughs> like, 
you know, you shouldn't blah, blah, blah. It's like with, it's like with psychology. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, with IFS, it's like, as you start to understand protector parts, you can then start to kind of see within other people of like, oh, that's one of their protector parts, you know, which I feel like also then can help you access more compassion, you know, and and, exactly it and understanding if you're wise, <laughs> if you're not wise, like I've been many times and still do sometimes you're like, Hey, let me give you all this advice, mom. She's like, <laughs> I want your advice, little girl, you know, so you have to <laughs> kind of ask before giving Ayurvedic advice. Sure. And so, you know, let's, let's say like with Pitta and I'm mentioning Pitta so much because that's what I <laughs> resonate oh, yeah. with. Uh, so if, Let's say that is a an element, or would you say an element or a dosha that's out of balance? A, a dosha. dosha. Okay. Yeah. So if that's a dosha for me that tends to sometimes swing a little bit mm-hmm. too much up, you know, extreme energy. And like I said, like there's moments in my life where I have just like felt like I'm literally like melting, you know, like I'm physically hot or like my digestion has always been fickle. You know, it's always felt fiery, literally, you know, and I have to be very careful and very aware of like what I eat. Mm -hmm. And there's certain things that I eat that my body is just like, ah, you know, it just explodes with inflammation, you know, and like, like redness on my arms, you know, and acne. And so I guess a question that I have is once you know, let's say like you go through your school or you work with another Ayurvedic, you know, practitioner and, and you find out that your dosha in terms of maybe what's out of balance, what would be an Ayurvedic tradition kind of different things that someone, yeah. Like what would be the remedy to help bring that into balance? I'm going to give you the quick and dirty for everybody listening. Note with the knowledge that this is very complex. So right never would take the place of you and I meeting for like two hours, but you are very easy probably because you, you have the classic telltale signs of Pitta, right? And I always say that Pitta Kaffas, which you probably are. No, that's what it says. I, that's what it said. I was. Okay. My you got it right. Like, yeah. Good job, Katie. All right. So <laughs> my ego's happy. You're Pitta Kapha. And I always tell people I'm, I'm Pitta Vata and I have a side. I'm actually tridoshic, which is means you have all of the doshas in equal amounts. So you can have all the imbalances <laughs> and all the superpowers. Right. Uh-huh. So like, I always say that Pitta Kaphas run the world because you have all the drive, all the intelligence, all the leadership and all the ambition, but you have the resilience and the substance to actually endure your own projects. Mm. Meanwhile, people like me were like, oh my God, I have all these ideas and I can see everything really clearly. And then we're like, oh my God, I've totally winded out. Mm. Then you have the far end, which is our poor love you. They are important parts of our society, but they are the Vata types where it can be very challenging. They're very up. They're in the realm of the unicorn, which is the realm of the idea Right. And so they're brilliant priestesses, artists, speakers, poets, writers. These are going to be people that kind of can be in the nothing and take it and bring it to us. But their challenge is can I pay the rent? Can mm. I get it down? And can I actually keep my goal the goal? Okay. 
true Vata person will be like, I've got this idea one day and the next day I have another one. And you're like, well, you never actually did any of them. So for our Kapha friends, those are going to be the people that have the most amount of earth and water and their remedies are going to be the oppositional qualities of heavy, dense, cool, moist, unctuous. So they're going to be the ones that need to work with more of the energy of Vata, right? Dryness. We want to get them dry brushing their skin, going on jogs, doing back bends, eating quinoa and chickpeas and salads and things that are light and mobile and airy, mm-hmm. right? We want to bring lightness and mobility to heaviness and density. For the pizza ladies like us, when we know I've got rosy skin, I've got acne, I've got inflamed bowels, I've got anger or, and people, some of our pizza people are like, no, but I never get angry at anybody. And I'm like, do you criticize yourself? And they're like, oh, 24-7, <laughs> right? So that's that's all fire, right? right? Yeah. And we know our remedies are going to need to be obviously cooling, but also this is the one that doesn't get a lot of press, spaciousness. Mm. Because fire is intense. It takes a point and it focuses on it and burns it into a hole in the ground. That is why poor men who are married to us, right? <laughs> We will not let it go. And we're so freaking smart that we're right. I mean, and I make the joke and it's true in my experience. Pizza people are usually right. <laughs> Can you repeat that? I'm going to play this for my husband. <laughs> we are. We are. We're, that's our gift. We're able to see. I'm not saying we're always right. But right. We yeah. See things clearly. And so our spiritual work is to be able to tr- transmit it through water less mm. than fire. So cooling foods, cucumbers, mint, aloe, coconut water, basmati rice, mung beans, cooling meats like turkey and chicken are going to be less heating than pork and red meat. So, you know, go get my book or whatever, look it up online, but you can have, see all these food lists that will reduce fire. But more importantly, on a spiritual or psychological realm, this This means getting off screens. It means getting away from your work. It means having spacious vistas where you can get an eagle eye view of the scenery, literally and figuratively to get out of your fixated version of yourself, which is the ego. Yes. And one of my mentors, one of my mentors said to me like a decade ago, she was like, Katie, Ayurveda remedies for you are going to feel like a death sentence to your ego. Hmm. That's the fiery ego. It we're we're the hardest ones to let it die. Yeah. Well, that's not true. Each each type has its own egoic death struggle. But then for our vata ladies that are going to be more long bodied, lanky, bone structures very thin or he- lack of heaviness in the structure, dryness. Um, I have I don't know if you're recording this on video, but like vata hair is like every hair has a mind of its own. Whereas Pitta hair is a little like more soft and fine. Kapha hair is like Kim Kardashian, right? Like heavy and dense and beautiful, luxurious. Vata people are going to benefit from warm, wet, and stable. Mm-hmm. So for everyone listening, warm, wet, and stable is a qua- on a subtle level is what our entire country needs. Mm. Motherly love unconditional love, 
the warmth of community, stability of knowing who we are and who our lineage is and the roots of our elders, the roots of our traditions, the forgiveness that comes mm. open, watery heart grounds the feeling of helplessness, of trap entrapment, of claustrophobia, of terror. I mean, these are all real things that yeah. especially our young people are going through. So regular routine. I tell my students the best way to ground Vata, well, there are many, avoid the things that disturb your mind. Mm. Stop eating the media right. that hurts your soul and chop vegetables, put them in a little bit of oil and eat it with a warm rice. You, mm. you know, Vata loves one pot meals. So get an Instapot. Now, no matter who you are, chopping vegetables for yourself every day is, is just a sacred practice. Right. Stop and do some energy work where you bring energy in and down or down the back body, connect with the feet, connect with the legs, connect with the belly. Most people are living energetically in their head mm -hmm. and in their heart. When we live in our heart and our head, the energy of Udanavayu, it's an upward flow. It goes from my heart up and out of me. That's cool. I'm able to sing. I'm able to speak to you. I'm able to create. But on a deeper level, this is super wild. Our own feelings are in and down. So if you're only living in the heart, and I see this with, we have thousands of women in the Shakti school, and I'm like, oh my God, it doesn't even matter our dosha. If we're living in the heart and the head, we are more aware of the feelings of others than our own feeling about a situation. Mm-hmm. So it's not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing to be able to resonate. But if you don't even know how you feel, you are going to either be swayed by the people in your house or even worse, swayed by the media. Right. And be in IFS, we would, you know, maybe describe that as like being blended with parts of you that are again, like there and activated, but you don't have the awareness that that is a part of you or even like having the language to say like a part of me is feeling blank. You know, it's just that you're living and seeing the world through the eyes of that part, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like when that is happening for an extended period of time, it's going to have certain negative impacts, you know, either like for your health, for your relationships, things like that. So I love how you just described all of that and it makes so much sense. And, you know, it's funny, as you were mentioning, like with Pitta, we need spaciousness. I am currently in, like, as we're speaking, I'm in my office and I, I'm in a building. By the way, really good colors. Oh, okay. So got creams and greens. Yes. Yep. That's the heart and the, and the spaciousness. So that's good. Good to know. Cause that's what I'm drawn to. Mm -hmm. And that's what I had, you know, I had my whole office painted this color specifically, and I wanted to make sure I had, yeah, like real plants and yeah, those colors of cream and green and, and, and light pink is also something that I'm Perfect. drawn to. Perfect. But what's interesting is you were talking about spaciousness is I was in the office next door for about a year and it was, you know, not super cramped, but I mean, like it was, I forget the dimensions, but it was pretty small. And I kept walking into this corner office that was right next door because it was in the corner. So it had a lot more windows. It could see out into the hills and trees and it was two offices put together so it's it's like three times the size 
as that first one. And I would just on some moments where I had free time, I would literally just walk into this corner office and just walk around and like just feel the spaciousness and look out the windows. And then eventually it's like six months later, I was like, it was still available. I was like, I, I want to move into this one. And since I've done that, it's just felt so much more in alignment with me. And it. so when you talk about, yeah, Pitta's needing spaciousness, I was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, they do. They do. And the cooling, right? So it's, it's really about like getting to know maybe what dosha is out of balance for you so that then you can start to have that awareness of what are some things that maybe I'm engaging in that are just increasing that, right? Like, right. So there's a central premise of Ayurvedic medicine, which is like is attracted to like, mm-hmm. and this is where it's tantric. Like is attracted to opposites, Like opposites attract is very true. And like likes like is also true. And so if you are already fire, I love, whiskey. I love hot sauce. I love deep intellectual debates with like Jordan Peterson and some lefty progressive. (laughs) Let's really see what happens here with these two, you know, like, yeah, cool. Right. And, and that will be like, like going towards more like, and yet I am single right now. And I notice I really like dating coffee men. Right. Mm. Oh, so strong and stable and quiet and spacious. Like, I I think what, what is important, I think you'll resonate because I love parts work and have read about it quite a bit. And what I love about it is it is describing the ancient Ayurvedic method of working with what in the past we called entities. And that scares everybody. Like entities, yeah, you've got little angels and little devils running around in you and Ayurveda if you look at the compendium texts of Ayurveda, like 50% of it or more is entity removal work. Oh, interesting. And, yeah. And, 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 you know, they call it entity removal, but really you're, you're, you know, trans alchemizing this. And um, so that's a longer discussion that we could have around just the brilliance of how do I work with parts without demonizing them and trying to annihilate them while at the same time, not merging and becoming them. Right. And, and entity work is so powerful because what you alluded to before is you, the definition of yoga is making that, which is unconscious conscious. So all of a sudden I do this all the time. It's like, you're coming out of a trance. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wow. I've been the little eight-year-old girl that wants everybody to like her. I was that girl during this whole meeting and oh my God. And now I'm coming out of that. Ayurveda understood those as possessions. (laughs) And these are words that kind of freak people out, but, but if we can have an open mind around it, what we're all looking to do, whether it be your work in the world or mine is to help ourselves and others come into the part of us that is unchanging, that isn't moved by the vicissitudes of the doshas or the parts mm-hmm. or the, you know, inevitable ins and outs and ups and downs of life. And, and that really is what I'm now way more interested in uh, than Ayurveda even, right? Like, yeah, it's kind of been an evolution for me. Yeah. And in IFS, we would call that the self with a capital S is that, yeah never changing, never goes away, that inner parent that 
that source, that resource, that, that healer that has all these amazing qualities like curiosity and compassion and calm and presence and courage they call it the eight C's and that that's always there. And then we can have these parts of us that again, like have positive intention with what they're doing and why they're doing it. Cause it's even, some, the, even the weirdest ones, which is even so- the weirdest ones. Yeah. Right. And even the ones that are harmful in mm-hmm. a way, right. That have like potentially dangerous impacts. If they're a part of you, they're there for some sort of reason at the time that they started for some sort of positive intention back then, you know, but then maybe over time, you know, if it kept up and then it, you know, it, it got more and more intense or extreme, then it no longer has a, a positive impact, <laughs> you know, might still have the positive intention, but it yeah. might be having a negative impact. So yeah, it is. I, I love the way you're describing that and how that's connected to understanding ourselves and having that awareness. And then when we have that awareness, right, it's like, then we can be awakened to, oh, I'm engaging in a part of me is wanting to eat this type of foods, but I'm now aware that maybe it makes my body feel this way. And and, okay, well, maybe I can experience, let me get to know that part of me that might be like drawn to that and just befriend it, get curious about it, you know, and then also have that understanding of like, well, let me experiment maybe with some of these things. And let me just notice how I feel just in every way. And so I really feel like this science of Ayurveda is so beautiful and it makes sense. It makes sense. It's also a humbling. Oh, if I go against one of the premises of Ayurveda is if you go against nature, nature will show up to live with you. So you better learn how to live with her because if it, she's going to win, you know, like yeah. this little guy who's like, why are you ignoring me? I got to <laughs> go Natalie. And our <laughs> oh, for those of you that they won't be able to see this because it's just audio, but baby. oh my gosh, you got your baby puppy. She's so pink. cute. Beautiful. And so I, you know, I know we're almost out of time, but I wanted to get a chance for you to talk about your new book that's now available for pre-order. Sure. And that's, that's the book called Glow Worthy Practices for Awakening Your Inner Light and Loving Yourself as You Are Broken, Beautiful and Sacred. It's such a beautiful title and it's a beautiful book. The color, I love the colors obsessed. I'm so happy with the the publisher and the design team. Yeah. I mean, this book, I mean, you'll read it, Natalie. It is literally like parts work. It's, it's, it's the understanding. It's the synthesis of what I've, I, I, I can, I say this with humility because I have a lot more to learn, but the synthesis of 20 years of studying mystical, religious, esoteric teachings from both the West and the East. And the synthesis is presence plus love. And you said it awareness plus this like compassion and the big aha that I had years back and continue to be humbled by is projection is real. The parts of me that I've disowned, that I find abhorrent, that I do not think I am at all. I am going to project project and have the experience come to me through the outer world mm-hmm. and through studying Jung, who was you know, calling the self, the self, by the way, which is, he learned that from the Eastern tradition. So it's Mm -hmm. cool how the West is like, oh, we'll do that too. That's cool. But Jung said, it's better to be whole 
than to be good. If you work at becoming good, and for women, guys, we just grew up in a goodness becoming soup. It's like, be pretty, be agreeable. Here are all the things that are acceptable. And here are the things that aren't. And I am still just amazed at how much I'm uncovering parts of me that, as you said, they're awful. They're selfish. They're egotistical. They're manipulative. They're petty. They're freaking insecure. I mean, and on and on and on. The victim. I mean, you know this better than anybody. And so this book really is about how to actually step into this radical place where you feel, you truly feel that I can be in a place of unconditional love with whatever's arising in the experience. And that absolutely does not mean that we spiritually bypass or that we do not have to take responsibility for our actions and the outcomes of that. But from this place of unconditional love, and it is brutal. Yeah. It's hard. Mm-hmm. And so that's what this book is about. And it's also really a, an homage to a four-year mentorship that I did with a woman named Crystal Mortensen, who really taught me energy work at a higher level. And, and so they're the basics of our practices I've done with her are in this book and, and are really what I teach every single week in Shakti school are these basics of energy work and how this energy work interfaces with the psychology interfaces with the spirituality. Yeah. That, that I'm parts of me are really excited about your book <laughs> as you're talking about right? it. Parts of me are so excited about you reading it. <laughs> no, truly that's, that's really beautiful that you've created this this resource for people that and I think I saw on maybe your newsletter that you sent out yesterday that you wrote this book for yourself, which I feel like which I feel like, it, you know, when an author like admits to that and they actually are writing a book for themselves, you know, and what they're needing, then I feel like then that's where it truly you can really feel that when you read it, right? Because like, if someone's just writing something because they're like, oh, this is in right now, let me just write a book. It's like, you're not going to feel that energetic connection and passion, right? So I really appreciate when people put art out there, resources out there that are, you know, truly coming from a place within them that this has been helpful for them. (laughs) So I'm really excited to, to read, yeah, this book and what you're saying, it it just really, again, like resonates with me and the power of when we can access this, yeah, that love, that loving kindness, that compassionate energy for these various parts within us that yes, can be mean, can be harsh, can be, you know, cruel or selfish, any of these things, right? That instead of then getting blended with other parts of us that are then criticizing those and then then feeling shame, right? Which shame is never healing, right? It just leads to more suffering and and woundedness. But it's like, if we can, yeah, access that self-energy of compassion and love towards these various parts of us, then that's where like that spaciousness happens. And then that healing. Yeah. In energy, in energy anatomy and Ayurveda, it's said that energy cannot flow through tension. And people think, oh, that means just be relaxed. It's like, no, it's it's the parts that are shaming us. The critical parts cause the energy, mental energy to fixate 
And then the, the universal energy, AKA higher self and universal self, it, they can't connect. And so like for me, I, I was just laughing because I was working with my therapist yesterday. I'm like, I basically need to just write this on the refrigerator. It's like your job, your only job is to hold yourself unconditionally with whatever happens. And, and that's real. If, if you and I and everybody were really holding that as our main job, it's dramatic the way that if I'm holding myself like that, it is really unlikely that I'm going to not hold you that way. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I do think that, that it is an inside job. Oh yeah. This whole heal the world thing. It's got to start inside because if not, then we will project our unwanted parts out into the world and then call ourselves activists. Yeah, exactly. Which activism is great. Mm-hmm. Only if, you know, if it's coming from this place of knowing that there aren't good guys and bad guys. And I think that is such a feature of our culture in the United States right now. Like no one's listening to each other. We've othered everyone. I'm, and of course I'm on the side of the good, right? And we've, we've projected our bad self out onto the outer world, right? Mm-hmm. And so it just keeps this sort of dynamic locked in place and, you know, keeps us in what the Buddhists would call that samsaric wheel of repetition. Right. And I'm personally made a vow two years ago on the edge of the world in Hawaii that I just really want to be free. And, and, and that's a brutal thing to, to ask because it means meeting all your demons. <laughs> it does. Yeah. With that, with that compassion, that can be a challenge for some of our parts to give that space to access that, but it's possible. It's possible. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your amazing wisdom. And I, we could talk for days, I feel like about all this kind of stuff. Like you said, this was very much a simplified, you know information about all these things. So if people are interested in connecting more with you, the Shakti school, where can they find you and all of that? Well, of course we're on the Instagram at the Shakti school and Shakti school.com, katiesilcox.com. But yeah, mostly everything's at Shakti school.com. Glowworthy, you can buy it everywhere online and um, yeah, we're easy, easy to find. Yeah. Wonderful. And I'll put all those links in the show notes so people can easily access those. Wonderful. It's been really, really great to talk to you too. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for coming on and talking about this stuff. I really appreciate it. And hopefully maybe sometime in the future, we can come back together and, and talk about your book, maybe more in depth. Sure. I'd after love it's to come out. Yeah. We'll, okay. we'll, we'll make sure we get you a copy. Um, we'll, we'll send one out so you can go through Thank it. you. I appreciate that. All right, everyone. I will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.